And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Ben's with Bubba, episode 628, continuing our 2024 team previews to get you ready for the fantasy baseball season. Continuing our stretch through the AL Central here, just wrapped up the Twins with David Mendelson, and we head to Chi-Town to the Chicago White Sox in order to preview this team that has talent, but can they put it together is the question. Um, to help me do this will be the same guy that helped us break this down last year, a friend of mine, friend of the show. You can find him on Twitter at MDRCO8. He's a part of the Fantasy Baseball Beat with Triple Play Fantasy, fan tracks, and much, much more. Mr. Doc, the good doctor, I should say. Mr. Mike Carter, how are you doing, my friend? Bubba, how are you doing? Thanks so much for having me back on, man. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time, even though the conversation might only be about eight minutes long. <laughs> well, you know, I think we'll find a way to have some fun with it, for sure, especially the offensive side. Pitching side might go a little quicker because that's, um, wow, that's all I can say. Like, when the Royals are out doing you, it's it's not good. Um, but we'll get to that, and, you know, regardless, we're going to play fantasy. And the running joke I have every year, and it seems like every show I do when we talk about late-round targets, bad teams have fantasy-relevant players, and a lot of them come at a discount, depending on what you look at. So um, you got that going for you. Um, let's kick it off before we get into it. What were your uh, thoughts on 2020? to three when it came to the white Sox season as a whole like doesn't be fantasy wise but just as a whole what what uh, were your thoughts uh, it was incredibly disappointing but as a lifelong white Sox fan you get used to the disappointment yeah. um you know i i think that the the one good silver lining that came out of it was that i i think most people who follow the team knew that they were going to be bad and despite what people thought and what the predictions were ahead of the season they're not a cohesive group of guys that plays winning baseball. And the organization does not seem to put a high premium on those types of guys. And it, it obviously led to the ouster of general manager Rick Hahn and, and president Kenny Williams, which was a welcome sign. I mean, I think that those guys have been in there for a long time. The White Sox ownership, Jerry Reinsdorf, values loyalty and continues to pay guys long after they're no longer even affiliated with the team uh, to be part of the organization. So doing that was a good stretch. But in typical White Sox fashion, then they hired their scouting director who doesn't really seem to be able to develop any talent to be the GM. And so now we have Chris Getz. So we'll give we'll give him a chance and see how that goes. Um, I, I think the one silver lining of all of it was that they did do a, a fairly decent job restocking a very bereft farm system. And so there's four or five guys in that farm system now that, you know, we can kind of look forward to some this year some a little bit further down the road that are going to make an impact on this team. And I, I think that the reason why they are where they are right now is because they're, um, they're, they're going to try to do something to, to change the culture of the team, but they're also not going to spend a lot of money signing guys when they know that they've got guys like Colson Montgomery and Brian Ramos and guys like that, that we saw in the AFL around the corner, you know? So they're kind of in a holding pattern right now, but uh, it's going to be a, a tough year from what it looks like so far. Yeah. Those are the kind of years rebuilding is what I'll say teams have to go through. I know it's not probably the way you're looking at this, but if they are waiting for the prospects, if they keep bringing more prospects in and some of these players we're going to talk about today, they could all be traded before the show posts. Like no one would be shocked in reality. Correct. That might redo the whole thing. So um, like I recorded the, the Rays podcast last Thursday. I posted on Monday. There was two trades right after the, the, the I recorded. And uh, that's the beauty, like the good and the bad of these early things. And the White Sox are a team that definitely have pieces in motion right now. It's just when will they land at their desired target is the question. Let's start with the offense side of things. And we'll start with one of the newest Boris clients in all of baseball. Ooh. Luis Robert Lubob is what I call him because – I always think it's Luis Robert, and then someone tells me it's Robert, and then they go back to Robert, and I think it's Robert, but I'm just going to go Lou Bob. That's what I enjoy. Um, over the last month or so, he's got an ADP outside of uh, around 33, so a 2-3 turn type player. We saw 145 games last year. We've been hoping for that for a long time. 38 homers, 20 steals. We saw the guy I think a lot of us kind of expected in fantasy circles. Now, what's your, your thoughts on 2024? Because – the team, the offensive side of it still should be okay. And like, it's not like electric and great, but it should be good enough to keep him productive. I think you know better than I, though. No, I totally agree with your assessment of that. I think you're looking at a guy that is their, their three hitter for sure, their starting center fielder. The question with him always has been health. 
and whether he can stay healthy enough to put together a 150-game season. He was close to that last year. He did play through some nagging injuries last year. He had a, a finger issue and then ended the season with a mild MCL sprain, and they just shut him down rather than try to force him out there. However, this is a guy that we've been waiting for, it seems like forever, for these skills to coalesce. There's a there's a 30-30, a, a maybe a 40-30 guy in there waiting to get out. I don't think he's going to run as much this year. So I, I'm anticipating that if you're able to get 150 games, that you could be looking at 35 home runs and maybe 15 steals. I don't know that he's going to run a lot. Grafal doesn't really show a high propensity for having guys stealing bases. Uh, it's going to be hard to see how that's going to project. But if he stays healthy and those skills coalesce into something, you could be looking at a monster. Where he's going in drafts, I think, is completely appropriate at this point. Um, even if maybe it's a little lower than what we might have anticipated, I think there's always those nagging health issues with him, as we have with several of the White Sox players that we'll talk about as well. 100%. I think the price tag's fair. This is a guy at one point people were thinking was a first-round guy. Um, now he's outside of round two. He might creep into round two, depending on what draft you're in. Like, I'm in a DC right now that just hit the 2-3 turn, and um, uh, Lou Bob is gone, I believe. I'll, I'll just tell you flat out where he went. Uh, yeah, he went at pick 29. So mm-hmm. you're going to see it go all over the place with him. But that, that seems pretty fair, I'll say, in that range. It's kind of like, do you want him? Do you want Michael Harris? That's kind of the discussion point in drafts right now. Power-wise, you got uh, Lou Bob. Harris might have more speed. Harris also hasn't shown the injury concerns. Harris is also on the Braves. So there's mm-hmm. like a, a few factors there that make it fun. That's the beauty of piecing these things together. But I think ceiling-wise, like if you were to say Lou Bob has a chance for an MVP in 2024, I don't think anybody would like tell you you're crazy. I think he's that, oh, no. ta- he's that talented. Yeah, so. the, ta- the talent is definitely there. And I, and I think the one change that we noticed that he made last year was, you know, he did sell out a little bit, um, uh, surrendering a little bit of the contact for power. And I, but I think for him, that was a good idea. I mean, this is a guy that's got tremendous raw power. Uh, you know, they call him La Pantera here in Chicago. The guy is just a freakish athlete. He's a great center fielder. If he stays healthy, there's no reason to think that he won't be a superstar in fantasy this year. Yep, uh, I'm completely with you on this one. Let's go to another injury guy. Like, the talent is almost endless with Eloy, but we only see it for, like, 50 games a year, it feels like, at times. Did play 120 last year, which shocked me when I saw that, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I think that was his all-time high. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy seeing that 18 homers hit 272. Like, the talent's great. Can he keep it on the field is the question. The fun thing this year, Mike, though, He's got an ADP of like 230. Yeah. Which is util only, which is fine, but at 230, that's a little more interesting. So, what's your thoughts on Eloy this year besides the obvious injury concerns? <laughs> well, you know, we have uh, this guy that we've been kind of waiting for. We were just talking about Robert coalescing, and we've been seeing glimpses of Eloy and what he can do over the course of time. And the guy can hit, there's no doubt about it. Uh, he is a soft tissue injury. Uh, magnet it seems like uh, every time you hear these hurt it's usually nothing that's super serious it's a it's a hamstring it's a it's a mild groin strain it's a he's a six foot five 260 pound monster who tries to run like he is Luis Robert he's not he tries really hard he hustles a lot but he cannot play in the field they cannot put him in the outfield that is a disaster waiting to happen as we learned a couple years ago with his his weird peck injury trying to jump over the fence for a ball that wasn't even close to where he was at he just has to be their dh and that's their best chance of being able to keep him healthy to your point i i feel like the star is fading a little bit but i don't think we should give up on him he's 27 um we know that he is a guy that could easily with another guy that if he were to play 140 games could easily give you 30 home runs. The, the power is real. He's a monster. I think his biggest issue and biggest obstacle is himself. I, I feel like he can't decide what he is and that he's in constant limbo, almost like an existential crisis of trying to figure out who he is as a player. The one thing that I've noticed going to a lot of games and watching him is that he really struggles to pay attention. His, he's, 
he's out of the dugout all the time, looking in the stands, waving at people, talking. The fans love him. He's very kid friendly, but he's really got to focus. Like it's almost like with like Jack, I always like my son. I always want to give him some Ritalin or Stratera just to help him focus just a little bit while he's out there. But Eloy at 222, 230, mm-hmm. I, that's a great uh, price for him, I think. I mean, yeah. for what you could get, you know, he should be going 100 point, 100 spots higher than that if you think he's going to get 30 home runs. Yes. Yeah. And that's why it's really interesting, especially like, you know, a lot of us are doing drafts and holds right now. So you're kind of stuck with the guy if he gets hurt, this, that, and the other. In a fab league, though, man, like I'm really curious to see where his ADP starts kind of going in a fab league where. If he gets hurt or whatever, you can just drop him if, right. if, if worse comes to worse. And so to take that chance at 230, like we talked about Buxton on the last show, he's got a, a crazy ADP too. And you could just drop these dudes in um in, in Fab League. So I'm with you on Eloy. He's still super young too, which is um is interesting to, to look at. So yeah. Isn't it fu- isn't it funny how fickle we get as fantasy players with some of these guys? Like l- last year, last year, where was Eli going? He was like fourth, fifth round in a lot of oh, places, easy, right? Easy, like yeah. easily. And now we're looking at him and saying, "Oh, you know, he's got a, he's only a UT slot. I, I he's not valuable, but he could be really valuable if he comes in healthy and in shape and is ready to go. He's probably going to hit fourth or fifth in that lineup at this point, right? So he's going to have an opportunity to knock in some runs. The top half of this lineup is not a bad lineup. Yep, I'm 100 with you on that one. So very, very interesting. Another guy, Andrew Vaughn, um, you know, a year removed from Uncle Tony, gets to play 152 games, 21 homers, hits 258. Kind of, uh, I think some people hoped for more power. Maybe it's there. Maybe this is who he is. The bright side, if this is who he is, his ADP is 240, basically. So he's not costing yep. you a ton. He's going to be in the outfield for the White Sox every single day, it seems like. So what's your thoughts on Andrew Vaughn this year? Again, this is like I said at the beginning of the show is, might be a bad team, but we get a lot of better price tags in fantasy right now with these guys. You know, I, I do a lot of research, as I know you do. You do even more than I do. I know that. But, you know, you look at a guy like Vaughn, and you and you and he came in with this pedigree, right? He was drafted as supposedly the most pro-ready hitter in the draft when he was taken. He was the third pick overall. They gave him very little time in the minor leagues before they threw him into the fire. Last year was his first really full season. What a lot of people don't recognize about Vaughn is that when he came into the league, there were people who were saying, oh, this guy is Jeff Bagwell. Okay, that's that's a really big set of shoes to fill into. He's got a similar body style. He's not real tall. He swings a really aggressive bat. He does not strike out, which I think is a, is a really interesting thing to point out. I mean, I think his strikeout rate was about 21% last year, and he had a full season of at-bats playing first base. They let Abreu go, which was the right call. We talked about that last year. I said that was the right call. I stand by that. They let Vaughn play first base, and he played hurt the whole second half. He fouled the ball off his foot before the All-Star break and gutted his way through it, never complained, never made an issue about it. So this is a guy, to me, who's coalescing, right? So he's he's going to be 25. He's got over 1,000 major league at-bats under his belt now. This is a guy that could really easily put it together and blossom into a 25 home run hitter with 80 to 85 RBIs. And he's a he's a good hitter. He's not a 230 hitter. This is a guy that's going to hit 260, 270, I think, if they just leave him alone. The other reason why I like him this year too, Bubba, not only because of the cost of the ADP, where you might be getting him as a corner guy or a bench bat at this point, depending on what your draft is in. There's a lot of rumor here that he's going to bat second. Ooh. So they're talking about Benintendi leading off. They're talking about Vaughn batting second. I, if they do that, I like it even more. Uh, I think he, he, with Robert batting behind him and the potential Eloy and maybe Yoan Moncada behind that, there's some potential there for him to kind of step up. And so I like where he's going. I think he's a great volume play. He's going to play. He's going to get a lot of at-bats. He's going to gut through injury. So to me, I think you could do a lot worse around that ADP for the position. Yeah, I'm. I'm telling you, I, I keep the more drafts I do, getting much more interested in some of these White Sox players where I might have just like kind of passed on them in the past. I, I've, I've talked about Andrew Vaughn. I got to see him. He played at Cal, so he's not too far away. Oh, from right, me. right. And um, he, he came to play Cal Poly, which is like an hour away from me. And uh, Cal was there for the weekend, so I went down there and watched a couple games. And I've never seen. I, I don't watch like a ton, a ton of college, but I enjoy college baseball and. 
I've never seen a, a player get so respected at the plate. And it was an early season. It wasn't conference, so it would be pre-conference play. It's probably the third week of the season. The dude was getting walked with no one on base. He's getting walked with two guys on base. Um, it was like the old Barry Bonds day. He'd get like one at-bat to swing. And it was just crazy watching how good he was and how much like everyone respected him. Like he's like the professional hitter part of him. So I'm I'm really excited to see if where he can keep going. So I'm with you. Is you know, we saw it with Torkelson this past year. Uh and, and Vaughn's a better average guy. Torkelson's probably a better power guy, but it takes these guys that we know are very, very, very talented, top picks for a reason. It still takes a little while to develop. That's just common sense. Yes. Not everybody just walks onto yes. the scene and gets it. You mentioned he's 25 years old. Like Let's think about what we were doing when we were 25 years old. Like, oh, it wasn't be, good. Be real. It wasn't yeah, good. No, exactly. And this guy's playing <laughs> through an injury to play baseball. And you know, obviously he's getting paid well, but for you know league terms, getting paid nothing compared to the rest of the guys out there, he could have I, easily been like, "Put me on the IL." Like, you guys sign me to a rookie deal. I'm, I'm you're not going to send me down one or whatever. Like, he could have done a whole diva thing, basically. Is what I'm trying to say. For and sure. He, gr- for he sure. grinded it out, got the at bats. I think there is definitely something there with Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing that I'd like to add about that, you mentioned Uncle Tony before, which we, we hopefully won't mention him again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But oh, yeah. the thing is, is, you know, his philosophy was he didn't really want guys to need home runs. He liked that gap-to-gap thing. He liked guys being able to move around the bases. They didn't, weren't able to do that under his watch. Now they have a new hitting coach coming in this year. Marcus Thames is going to be their hitting coach, and we know that his idea is a little bit different. His idea is – Let's go for power, right? So um, that could unlock a new level to Vaughn's game. I'm very excited about him this year, even just from a, a player standpoint, not even from a fantasy standpoint, but just to see what he can do. He's still a really young guy who I don't think he's re- met his potential yet. I think there's a lot that could really happen there that would be good. Yeah, I'm excited to see where that one blossoms to. I'm with you on that. You mentioned Ben Benintendi, potential leadoff bat um, last season. Obviously, we all laughed like, when's he going to hit a home run? He ended up with five, <laughs> stole 13 bases, hit 262. It was just a very bloss. If you had him in fantasy, I hope you dropped him because he just didn't do anything of relevance. But the like the play discipline was still good and all those kind of things. What are you thinking with Ben Benintendi this year? Because right now, if you do like him, it's an ADP of 380. Yeah, I you know, I, I'll, I'll admit, last year when the Sox got, got him, uh, I thought that was a really good signing for and them. You and me both. Based so. on – based on where they were at. They needed a guy, they needed a left-handed bat. They needed a guy who could make contact. They needed a guy that could kind of move, you know, move the ball around and get around the bases a little bit. And the thing is, is that Benintendi in his best moments is your classic compiler, right? He's the type of guy that you draft in a fantasy team, hoping that he's going to get you those double-digit home runs and double-digit steals because he's going to have a high volume of at-bats. You know he's going to play. He's going to get 600 at-bats, and he's going to do that. However, when he went to Kansas City two years ago, his approach changed and his approach went to a contact approach and hitting the ball the other way far more often. And the power really sapped there. So he's got 10 home runs total the last two years. It looks like that ship has sailed. Now, the other thing that we know too here that under the radar again was that he played hurt. And this was a guy that was playing in at the end of 22 with a wrist injury. It surfaced again last year. It was kept very quiet. They didn't do very much talking about it. So is it possible that he might be able to get back into that low double-digit home run place? Yes. Is it possible that he'll run and get 13 to 15 stolen bases again? Yes. Is it likely that he'll be on any of my fantasy rosters as a fourth or fifth outfielder? No, I would say not. Um, I, I think this is a time now where we know what he is, and I don't know that he's useful to you other than that as a uh, you know a filler should someone get injured on your team. Yeah, I'm with you, and that's the downside. Like he's – He's probably a really good real life player for what the White Sox need right now. Like you said, he gets on base a ton. He's going to lead off. He got the guys, all those, all the baseball things. Um, but when it comes to the fantasy world, if you want like a two seventy ish average that might score eighty runs, but that's about it. I guess that's probably what you, that's you, what your ceiling. Is what you're thinking right about now? Well, right. there you go. But like, yeah, the, the rest of it, it's just a dread. Like you're like I think it was um, like the Gills or one of these really really good NFC players. Like like that I always trying to learn stuff from. Um, they said people that drafted Benintendi, it was better literally streaming an outfielder each week and rolling the dice on them going off each week and seeing where that goes than rostering Benintendi every day. Yeah, And it makes yep. tons of sense when they say it. But for anybody that's rostered him and you sit there, because I'm with you, when he signed with the White Sox last year, like good ballpark for him, like all these things, you're thinking 15-15, he's going to hit 280. Like that's not bad at all for his ADP. I'll live with that. 
and then then you start to watch them you're like yeah it's probably a bad idea so um yeah i'm with you it's like good for real life tough for fantasy price tag's nice but he's probably gonna be on the waiver wire mostly so just kind of wait for that and see where it goes agreed let's talk yoan moncada because i must we well, I feel bad for the kid, honestly. Like I do again, too. We can say kid. That's the beauty of it. Um, because he is only going to be 29. All these people we've talked about, he's like the oldest so far out of them. Like that's the crazy part. Um, yeah. that's why I said the White Sox like have something good going if they just figure out the rest of it, aka get the front office cleaned out. But um, when you look at Moncada, like we know how the the talent was when he got traded from the Red Sox, and it seems like he's always getting hurt. And it's mm-hmm. just, it's always one thing after another. And I know that's just part of life. And maybe that's, I don't, I hate saying injury prone. You'd know better now. You watch him more. But then he mm-hmm. had that stretch last year where he came back from one of those injuries where he really started crushing the ball again. And it was really good. Then he got hurt again. So the mm-hmm. question I have for you, Mike, as we're going through this season, he's got an ADP of 372, slightly before uh, Ben and Tendi. What are our thoughts on uh, Moncada? There's a lot of bias against Moncada especially here in Chicago, there's a lot of people who feel obviously the Sox made that trade several years ago now, almost eight years ago now when they traded Chris Sale for Moncada and Michael Kopech, who we'll talk about as well later. But there's a lot of people that feel like that hasn't uh, worked out well. And and Moncada had the one great season where he hit over 300 and had 25 home runs. But as whoever wrote the box and the forecaster put it best that that season's about to age out of the book. Um, so yeah, that's funny. <laughs> he, 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 it might've been Brian Rudd or one of those or, or, or Alan or one of those guys are really funny, but long story short, um, where he's going is criminal. And, and I think that this is a guy again, that his injury last year, he had a really significant back injury and he gets a lot of bad rap for being the type of guy that won't play unless he's hundred percent healthy, but he had a rib compression that was, you know, busting down on a nerve that made it really hard for him to be able to move at all. And I, I know you've had issues with back trouble. I've had issues with back trouble. That is no joke. And if you're a normal person who's not an athlete, boy, it can really incapacitate you. When he came back, the one thing that I will say, and it, I know that there's no way to measure this, he was having fun again. He was yeah. playing ball. He was doing his thing. There was no pressure because the team was terrible. But here's the thing. They batted him clean up. And I liked him there because I think that that forced him to kind of get into the game a little bit differently mentally. He's a good third baseman when he's healthy. He's got Brian Ramos breathing down his neck now, who's going to be in double A this year, who a lot of a lot of people think will be ready to go next year. So he's in a prove-it situation. Here's the other thing that's interesting. Chris Getz said a couple of weeks ago uh, that he could see Moncada kind of forming a super sub role a la – Mr. Lori Garcia years ago and playing some second base because he originally was a second baseman and also playing some first base to try to preserve his back. So they have Nicky Lopez, as you know, they've got Paul DeJong, as you know, Lopez can play a little bit of third base if need be. It sounds like they're trying to figure out some ways to kind of preserve his physicality a little bit more. And if they do that, I think that that something good things can happen. If you look at his at bat total from last year, it was a little bit over 300. He had 260 and hit 11 home runs. Now, are those thumping numbers? No. Can we extrapolate that over a full season? You and I both know that's a fool's errand. But the talent is there. This guy was the number one overall prospect in baseball just a few years ago. He could really quietly put it together with little pressure on him to perform on a team that's going to be lucky to win 60 to 70 games. So I think they're going to let him play. I think if he's healthy, he's going to be fine. I think he could easily hit 20 home runs and hit 270. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's why he's very, very ancient for me. You know, the third base position is better than it used to be in fantasy, but still not great, obviously. And when you can find a guy like this for a corner infielder later or take a flyer on late in a, a fab draft that, you know, if it works out, now you're money ahead. If not, again, droppable at these ADPs. I love these kind of gambles. So a guy like Moncada is interesting, or even a draft and hold format, like your second third baseman, third third baseman, a lot to like there. So I'm with you. I think there's there's something there. Again, it's the old adage that people probably get annoyed by now, stay on the field. Um, that's just right. a, a trend. But the talent's there, and I'm with you. Like, we saw signs that and like, as an outsider not watching the, the White Sox all the time. I know you and Jack. Like, I, I love the pictures when Jack wants to watch. Can you, like, that just melts my heart, hoping, like, my daughter someday goes, hey, Dad, let's watch something. Like, that's, it's beautiful. Um you see the you saw what I was seeing just looking at box scores and stuff. Like the talent was there. Yeah. He went through a streak. Things were good. So I'm with you on that regard, and hope it pans out. 
the last player I've written down, and I'm going to throw like some fastballs at you just for some random guys, but the, one of the last ones because it's the last one with a number next to his name on roster resource. So let's just put it that <laughs> way. That says a lot about what's going on right now is Oscar Colos because I think he's mm-hmm. kind of like, to me, he feels almost like a forgotten man this offseason when it comes to fantasy. Mm-hmm. Where last year, I was like, oh, they're going to start the year with Oscar Colos. We should be in on Oscar Colos. And he was a young kid that had his ups and downs. That's just the reality yeah. of it. Ended up pretty much down by the end, but he's going to project to start with the team again this year. Again, super young. Um, ADP of 506 right now. Are, should mm-hmm. we be interested in Colas, or should it still be more of a wait-and-see approach? Yeah, I think I think he's somebody that if you get down to the end of it and you want to take a flyer, there's a definite possibility that he breaks camp with the team as they're starting right fielder. Now, Chris Getz did say again this week that um, he's looking to fill the right field spot outside of the organization. That could mean a couple of different things. We know that the White Sox are dangerously obsessed with Whit Merrifield, uh, who would would be somebody that uh, would would fit in their lineup to an extent. Um but Colas is a guy, like you're saying, he, he he's he's not as young as people think. He is 25. He just hasn't had a lot of at-bats at the professional level. I mean, he's he's a Cuban guy. He played sparingly there. When he got into single A and double A, he just absolutely mashed. He's got light tower power. He's got a cannon for a right arm. Um, the, the problem is when he came here, the, the culture was bad last year, and they brought a young guy up into a culture that they thought was going to be good, surrounded by fellow Cubans, and it was not a good culture for him. He got a little lost in the shuffle. I don't think Pedro Rufal really knew what to do with him. And he sat a lot of times on the bench, and then they'd throw him out there, and he'd have an 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, and people really kind of you know doubled down and, and not liking him. Here's the thing, though. They, they have no reason to not give him another opportunity because they're going to stink and they don't have a better option at this point. Gavin Sheets cannot play right field. Eloy Jimenez cannot play right field. They have a hole there uh, that they need to have somebody fill. And short of getting a guy like Merrifield or, you know, somebody like an Adam Duval or something like that, if they decide to go in a route like that, Colas would be a really good guy to take a flyer on because he could walk into 20, 25 home runs, not with a real high batting average, I don't think, but, his biggest problem last year was his attitude. They, they sent him down not because he was doing terribly, even though it wasn't great. They sent him down because he wasn't hustling and he wasn't doing the things that they wanted him to be doing. So maybe he comes back a little hungry this year. Uh, at that ADP, I'm willing to take a chance and find out. Yeah, I'm with you. Again, like I keep saying like with Moncada late round, if we're not talking draft and hold, a Colos pick in like round 28 or 29 or something is interesting, especially because if he comes into spring training and starts hitting again, that, that ADP is going to start climbing. So something to keep in mind as you're going. Um, and then like I, I just wanted to mention, like this isn't really fantasy relevant, but it, I, it's something I think about a lot when I, I do analysis or like do my rankings and whatnot. Like you mentioned, you know, Moncada was having fun. I like to look at the off the field, the on the field. You mentioned Colos was a young guy that was, you know, not behaving basically. And that's a trend we see with a lot of young guys. That's why a lot of teams have like a Jose Abreu on their roster because almost all of the, like a good chunk, Moncada, Colos, Jimenez, Robert, all Latin American players. We know how the culture is. They always usually like have like every team has like a, an older guy that kind of like keeps every, like the morale going. Abreu went out and you, you kind of saw things get a little looser, maybe for the, not for the great. In Chicago, so this is just an off the wall question. This is not a fancy question. Do you wish they maybe brought back like an Elvis Andrus just to be that dude in the locker room, like to walk in and be like, "Hey guys, this is how we play baseball. Like this is what we got to do." Yeah, and and at least has a little bit of that Latin to him that people they they'll respect him type thing. I think they tried to do that last year with Andrus, and I I actually will put this squarely on Grafal Okay. Because they got 100 games into the season and Grafal was saying, well, we just don't have the culture that I want. Well, guess oh, what, Jesus. Nitwit? You're the manager. <laughs> yep. You decide the culture. You are the guy that just makes this decision. So this is where I think it's interesting that you bring up things like that, the culture, like Abreu or Andrews. I could totally – I think that's what they got Maldonado for. I think yeah, they really good, wanted good to get point. Sal Perez. I think they really wanted to get Sal Perez, but Sal Perez was too expensive for them. And with all the people here talking about the Kansas City White Sox connections – you know, with all the, the the inbreeding that seems to be going on there, uh, th- that wasn't going to happen. But they're 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 what they're trying to do is find guys that have been part of winning organizations that know how to do the little things that lead to them winning. Because as you said, leading us off, Bubba, it's not a question of talent with these guys. It's a question of can they figure out a way to play winning baseball? They let Abreu walk because they saw that his best days were behind him, and that was a good point. 
but he was their leader. He was their unquestioned leader, quiet leader, not a guy who was very vocal. I think you bring in a guy like Maldonado. I think you bring in a, a, a 37-year-old veteran catcher who's on his last legs, right? But he knows how to win. He knows how to manage a pitching staff. They got a lot of young guys. They got a lot of guys that are not very good at pitching at this point that they're going to need him and Max Stacy to kind of really be the stabilizing influence on that team. And they really could use somebody to step in and be that guy. I don't know who that guy is going to be, but my hunch is that that's why they brought in Maldonado. And a lot of people here are saying, why would you pay $4 million to a guy who's going to hit a buck 80? Well, his preparation, as you know, as well as I do, is bar none. He has no peer when it comes to preparing. That's why he's playing. That's why Dusty Baker had him as a starting catcher Bingo. on a world champion team. He doesn't give a shit what he hits. Pardon me. Yep. Sorry. No, he, doesn't give a darn, he doesn't give a darn what he hits. It's because he plays defense and knows how to, you know, psychologically yep. help those pitchers. And as we're going to talk about with the White Sox pitching staff, you need we that. have a bunch. We have a bunch of head cases <laughs> going out there in the rotation. You need them all. Absolutely. That's like, like that's why I hate it. It's like we'll talk about Stassi in a minute. But I just wanted to ask you about that because it's something I think about a lot. I played baseball. We've all played sports. You coach baseball. Sure. Like, sure. There's a mentality. Like you might not have the most talented team, but if your team, like, you know, it's cheesy to say believes, or they all get together it's a lot easier to play better and get hot and enjoy things. And it just changes things. So it's just something I want to ask. Cause I know for a fact, I, we all hated Tony and I thought I said, I want nothing to do with the white Sox while Tony's there. Cause you can see how much no one else on the team wanted to be there. It was, yeah. it was horrible. And um, yeah. okay. So I just want to, we'll, we'll move on from that. But um, <laughs> you mentioned, you mentioned Maldonado and like, I was super pumped when they brought Stassi in. Cause I think there's still a very good offensive bat there. He's had Absolutely. his off the field. He had his off the field issues, obviously that are, glad they're apparently are, are better now which is awesome um he's had injuries and everything they bring Maldonado in obviously to be like you said probably be like the leader of the clubhouse at the same time the defense like I'm a Yainar Diaz dude Diaz didn't see the field in the postseason basically because Maldonado was catching for obvious reasons right um right. how do you see that shaking out for fantasy because both are super cheap you obviously don't want to roster Maldonado because he doesn't do anything for you stats he could but if he's not playing he doesn't so how do you see the catching situation playing out Personally, I think it's going to be like a 60-40 if Stacy is healthy. I mean, I, I know they got Corey Lee, who they're really high on defensively. I think part of it will be to have some tutelage with uh, Maldonado as well for Lee. Lee did not hit at all. It was frightening uh, after the Sox acquired him. Really good behind the plate, which we're not used to. Um, the White Sox have not been good behind the plate for a very, very long time defensively. Because um, Monte Grandal was a hit-first catcher who didn't hit or play defense while he was here. So I think that um, this is a step in the right direction. Stacy gets a lot of bad uh, rep, but as you said, he had he had family problems last year. There were his he had a very very sick child. He had a lot of things that were going on. He was hurt. We know that in the past he's been a very good defensive catcher, a very good pitch framer, uh, and a guy that can really uh, you know maintain a pitching staff. So I think if he's healthy, he gets probably sixty percent of the reps, and Maldonado probably gets the forty percent. I don't think that Maldonado is going to play a ton necessarily, especially if Stacy is healthy, who knows what they could do is if Stacy's not ready, they could get rid of him and Lee and Maldonado could start the season as the catchers too. So I think there's a lot to be said there, but I like the idea uh, inherently as a Sox fan of them going after guys that can actually catch. Um, I think that you have to be strong up the middle. People talk about it all the time. The Sox have not done that in years. I mean, even when they were, Grandal, T.A. T.A. was not a strong defensive player, never has been, never going to be. Robert is a gold glove caliber center fielder as far as I'm concerned. But it starts with that mentality behind the plate of we're going to challenge hitters. We're not going to give up 40 home runs like we had several guys do last year. I keep saying we. I'm not on the team. The Sox had several guys that gave up over 40 home runs last year pitching. They have to solidify that spot. I think this is a step in the right direction. Although I know a lot of people here in Chicago are not happy with the situation yeah uh i see both sides i agree probably more with your side of it as a, as a baseball guy first over fantasies you need to kind of shore up the defensive side of things before everything else and secondly i'll never uh, correct any fan for saying we because we spend so much darn money to go to see these guys i think yeah. we's, we's, we's allowed on this one that's all i guess i get so that's just my two cents huh. but each their own. i yeah, I try. I try not to do it. I I actually do that too when I coach too. I'm like, I'm not playing, so I'm like, oh, do I use the we? Like, I don't know. I've, I've always been in sort of crisis about that. So, I appreciate the support. <laughs> yeah, no, I gotta have something to look forward to, man. Come on. Um, 
anybody else of relevance for you, or is it kind of a, a wait and see waiver wire? Like, there's Nicky Lopez. I don't think we want Paul DeYoung. Gavin Sheets has his moments in a platoon. Uh, Lennon Sosa, there's expectations didn't kind of live up to them last year. Anybody else worth really discussing fantasy wise? No, I think that are really kind of biding their time, right? Like we'll talk about some prospects here in a little yeah. bit, but you know, uh, Dijon will be the starting shortstop for a month or six weeks, and then I think Montgomery will be there. Lopez is a good guy to have around. Good glue guy. He's from the area. People like him. He plays second base for a while. Probably be an upgrade over what they had, which is not saying much. Um, I think this Merrifield thing's got some legs. I mean, I don't know what his thoughts are about where he wants to go, but he's a guy that plays second base and right field. Both are needs for the White Sox. They, they're known to really like him. He's got a relationship with Rafal going back to Kansas City again. Um, he could solve a lot of their problems, at least in the short term. Um by, by bringing in a guy like that, even though his his best days are behind him too, but he's still an, a huge upgrade over what they have. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, let's head to the mound on this one, and I really don't know if we need to talk about this much because I think we both can agree Dylan Cease won't be starting the year with the White Sox, but technically he's still there. So if you have any thoughts on Cease from a fantasy perspective, the floor is yours, but I'm pretty sure we're going to agree he's not going to be there. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of rumors, obviously, on a daily basis about where he's going. The price tag is considerably high. He has two years of control left. Uh, he did not have his best year last year. His his 2022 season was a, a Cy Young caliber type of season. That guy resides in there, you know, and I think if we look at pure statistics and say, oh, he's 7-9 with a 4.5 ERA like he was last year, people are missing the point of the exercise. This is a guy that is durable. He makes every start. He doesn't miss time. He's going to have over 200 strikeouts no matter what he does. His ERA was high last year because the defense was poor, and he fell victim to some of his walks, and his strand rate was not where it was before. He's going to recover that. He's probably not an ace. He's probably not a guy that you want to build your rotation around. If he's your number two guy, though, I think they're in really good shape. And where he's going right now in drafts is, mm-hmm. is very palatable. Now, I will say this. If the if the if if Mike Elias came to me and I was Getz and he said I will give you Colton Kowser or Kerstad or you know some combination of that and Westberg I'm we're in I'm in the Sox need position talent the the asking price for him is extreme is exorbitant the Reds were not willing to meet it they pivoted to Montas you know the Yankees were not or the Yankees are supposedly willing to meet it but they've given up so much prospect capital they probably can't do it. Baltimore, to me, has always seemed like the best fit. I don't think that Atlanta is the best fit. I know that there's been some talk about that. But, you know, I I think Baltimore, to me, remains, to me, the team that I would really like to do business with just because they've got the most prospect-ready guys. And the Sox need that. They, I I would be against the idea of trading Cease for three or four pitchers. I think pitching is going to come along and going to be okay. They They have no positional talent outside of Ramos and Montgomery they really struggle in this regard so I'm hopeful that they'll trade him I wish him nothing but success he's been a great guy to follow he's a good dude um you know he's really fun to watch pitch I, I that being said some he's gonna he needs to become someone else's problem sooner than later because yep. he does concern me you know oh, yeah it's the walks it's, that's always been the walks the year he didn't walk anybody he was a Cy Young candidate like you said so it's in there it's just can he control it ADPs around 112, which, like you said, very palatable. That's very interesting. And I, I agree. It's, I think it's always been the Orioles, and maybe why it's taking so long to make this deal. The Orioles might know it's always been the Orioles. So they're just like, we don't have to give in right now because of you know the Yankees not having the, the prospects anymore, so on and so forth. So it'll happen eventually. We'll just have to kind of wait a little longer. I think. Eric Fede signed with the White Sox, the KBO legend. Yes. Fede went over there and was just filthy over 180 innings, ERA of two, 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 nine XFIP. Learned how to strike guys out, which is impressive. Now, how that translates back, we've seen Mikolas and others like still be good, but not translate equally, of course. But, you know, you got a guy right now with an ADP of 411. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Eric Fede? I love the signing for the Sox. I thought it was a great idea for them. Um, we wouldn't be the first time we saw somebody go to the KBO and come back and be successful. You talk about Miles Mikolas. If he comes back and is Miles Michaelis, that's money well spent. Michaelis is a guy who grabs the ball. He's always around 200 innings. Obviously, he's not a world beater when it comes to the strikeouts and, and ratios and whatnot, but he he takes the ball and does his thing. Obviously, Merrill Kelly was a KBO guy. I would love it for him to be more like a Merrill Kelly, but I don't see that happening. Here's the thing, though. 
anytime that we have somebody that goes back and forth like this, or we have imports that are coming over from Asia, my go-to is Tim McLeod. Tim yeah. McLeod is a brilliant uh, guy. And he sent me a, I asked him for information on Fetty and he sent me a laundry list of things that he did differently. The thing that was interesting about me for Fetty and watching um, some of the video from him there was, uh, you know, he changed his grips around with how he was holding the ball. He fixed his curve ball, which he had not been throwing very well for success in the major league level. And it really worked for him well in the KBO. And he worked a little bit of a different pitch mix, changed some arm angles. This is a good risk for the White Sox. They're, you know, if, if, if he turns out to be good and somebody wants him at the trade deadline, you can trade him. He's got another year of control. He's had a two-year contract. If not, you have a serviceable starter. So I, I, if he ends up to me, if he ends up being like a somewhere between Michaelis and Kelly, I would say it's a success. Yeah, that'd be a massive success. I think I think you're dead on there. I'm curious to see how it goes. I'm rooting for him. Like what the changes he made. A lot of it was pitch mix wise. So it uh, it'll be very interesting to see where that goes. Michael Kopech. Oh. Um, Michael Kopech. I've always just been out on Kopech. It's like if you want to say stuff, it's not bad. There's zero control of it. That's yeah. the biggest thing. Uh, but the White Sox might need him to pitch every fifth day. So yeah. what are we thinking with Michael Kopech? Well, the interesting thing with him is that the only time that we've seen him be successful in a White Sox uniform was when he was in that multi-inning weapon role where he would come in and pitch an inning or two and be lights out and then be off for two or three days and then come back and do it again and be lights out. I don't think this is a guy that you can rely on. I, I um, He's 28 years old now. He's not a baby anymore. He's a Tommy John survivor. Um, he's always got something mechanical going on that's out of sorts. He, he tweaks a knee, he twists an ankle. He then can't pitch if he's not 100%. What pitcher in Major League Baseball is 100%? I would pose that question. I would say probably none of them are ever 100%, but uh, he's brutal as a starter and not what they expected. My thought on this one is that I I agreed with you on the surface that uh, they might not have a choice but to start him every fifth day. But the interesting thing that they mentioned the other day, and they didn't use his name, was that Garrett Crochet is going to be stretched out as a starter in the spring. I wonder if maybe the idea here is that if Crochet can be a starter, that maybe they move uh, um, Kopech back to the bullpen. They're looking for guys, the pitching, the pitchers that they've acquired so far this offseason are all guys that have seriously high ground ball rates. They're anticipating that they're going to be better on defense by adding DeJong and Lopez, and that if Montgomery comes up at some point, that they're going to be better and be able to catch the ball than what they've been in recent years. And they're going to have better catchers than what they've had defensively. While on the surface, that doesn't breed much confidence for us as fantasy players. I wonder if the idea is we'll put him out there in the bullpen and he can come in and give two craps and throw a a fastball and a slider. If he's got it, great. Leave him out there. If he doesn't have it, then we just move on to the next guy. The problem with him is that he has high strikeout potential. He's also got ridiculous home run potential. He gave up 20 home runs, yeah. 29 home runs last year in 129 innings. There were several games where he gave up three or four and didn't seem like he had a clue as to what he was doing. He's got a wipeout slider, but if you can't throw a fastball for a strike, a wipeout slider does you zero. Yeah. And so I think he's better served in the bullpen. I don't know if the White Sox will be courageous enough to have that conversation with him, but I'm wondering if they are able to move Crochet back into the rotation – Mm-hmm. And right now they have Cease, they've got um, Fetty, they've got um, Soroka, Jared Schuster, they just signed uh, Jake Woodford today, like these different guys that could be serviceable starters for a while. One of the idea is, let's put him back where he was a weapon. Yeah, I could see that. A couple in any role, even a closer role potentially could be in the cards for him, just with the nastiness that he has. Uh, maybe a Pavetta-type role we saw would come out of the bullpen after an opener would be fun. So it's definitely something to think about. Uh, you mentioned Crochet possibly coming back into rotation like they want to do. There's Soroka, who I think we all want to root for, but there's a lot of questions. Yeah. They signed Chris Flexen. Is there anybody else you're really looking at fantasy-wise when it comes to starting pitchers for the White Sox? No, <laughs> I don't think yeah. so. I mean, they got some guys that are, like we talked about with Benintendi before, that might be better in real life than they are for our fantasy purposes. Uh, I would not be minding the White Sox for pitching at this point. I think that's going to be, obviously, their Achilles heel this year. Uh, I would, other than other than Fetty, who you might want to take a flyer on uh, deeper in a draft, and Cease if he remains, uh, I don't see another starter here that's worth rostering at this point. 
All right, heading to the bullpen. Is it Greg, Greg, Gregory Santos's world uh, to to run with right now with an ADP of four sixteen? Yeah, I like him there too. I think that this is a guy that uh, unless something drastic happens and they move uh, Kopech into a closer role, which I don't think they would use him in that role anyway. Santos really did a nice job. He was a former San Francisco Giant, one of your guys there. They let him go for reasons. I don't I don't fully know why. He's young. He had some command issues, obviously. The walk rates were were skyrocketing when he was in San Francisco. But the stuff is there. What, what they did with him here was they had him abandon the fastball and go to the sinker, which made a huge difference for him. And he was able to control that pretty well. I think this is a guy that at this point right now, if you draft as a uh, a third closer, perhaps, if you go that route or draft as a second closer with some upside, 15 to 20 saves feels within reach to me. And if he it has the job all year, he we know that even bad teams are going to have 25 saves. So uh, the lion's share of those should go to him. There's really nobody else in the bullpen that you look at. You know, Jordan Leisure was a guy that we saw in the AFL bubble bubble when we were down there. He looked pretty good. He's not a, he's not a young guy either. He's a guy that could kind of you know get into the bullpen there. Um, Matt Foster's coming back off of injury. He's had some success there, but other than those guys, they don't really have anybody that I think is going to push Santos for the closer role at this point. All righty, you've hinted at some prospects. We obviously saw a couple of them in the AFL. What are we thinking here? You mentioned Montgomery. You mentioned Ramos. Uh, what what are we thinking uh, this season for some of these guys? Well, I think Ramos, you know, just starting with him, I don't think he's going to be up this year. I think that they want to get him a full season of at-bats in double-A and get him into triple-A before he comes in. But uh, it's definitely a, a guy that um, profiles as a third baseman, potentially uh, Mankata's replacement if they go that route. We saw him in the AFL. He was actually quite a bit bigger than I thought he was going to be. I thought he was heavier and more stocky. He was actually a pretty good-sized guy. He made a lot of strides playing defense at third base. But the cherry here is Montgomery. I mean, Montgomery is a fantastic athlete. I was really curious. In the, now, I'm not a scout, obviously, but uh, watching him play shortstop in the AFL, I was impressed with his agility, his ability to move. He gets a lot of comparisons, right or wrong. Body size wise to Corey Seager, 100%. left-handed swing, six foot four, two hundred twenty-five pound guy, great gap to gap. He's got incredible play discipline for a young guy. I mean, he's twenty-one. He had a fifteen percent walk rate last year in Double A. That's unheard of. He walks more than he strikes out. The big question is, does he stick at shortstop? Scouts that we talked to when we were down there were split on that. There were some who said, "Eh, I don't think this guy is an infielder at all. I think he's a corner outfielder." that his bat will profile as a corner outfielder eventually. The White Sox are hell-bent on him playing shortstop. and They don't have another option that's ready. Uh, they let Anderson go. Um, Jacob Gonzalez, who was their first-round pick last year, is probably better suited to play second base down the road, not shortstop. They're going to sink or swim with Montgomery playing shortstop. I think he can play shortstop. I, I know that we had a limited basis there, but I think I saw him five times while we were down there. And uh, every time I saw him, I was impressed with where he was at. His positioning, he reminded me a lot in that in that mindset. He reminded me a lot of Cal Ripken, where was he was moving every every pitch. You know, kind of kind of moving around and, and moving. He, he's very agile. The power is going to come. You know, you were at the at the All Star game like I was, and he had a ninety seven mile an hour inside fastball into orbit. I was very excited to see that as a White Sox fan. I think he's their guy. I think he's going to be here sooner than later. I don't think they're going to mess around too much with. Paul DeJong and Nicky Lopez. I think if he's ready by the end of May, I would not surprise me at all if he's the starting shortstop by June 1st. I love it. Uh, anybody else on the radar prospect-wise, or is it Montgomery and that's about it this season? No, you know, I think that there's a couple of pitchers that are really interesting here that people should think about. Uh, Nick Nestrini was a guy that they got from the Dodgers in the Joe Kelly and uh, Lance Lynn trade. Uh, he was a top guy at USA, UCLA before he got a case of the yips and was not able to pitch in the rotation there. He still was drafted fourth uh, fourth round by the Dodgers. The Dodgers know a thing or two about developing players. Um, he came to AAA for the White Sox last year and was impressive. I think that he's a guy that uh, he's got a four-pitch mix right now, good curveball, really live fastball, definitely could be a guy that looks like a number three starter for the White Sox at some point this season. Uh, I think he's got a good strikeout rate. He's about 28% strikeout rate, a little bit of a high walk rate, which, you know, happens with young guys, but the Sox are desperate for starting pitching. Um, I don't know if a lot of these guys are going to make it. Nestrini is a guy that I would uh, earmark. Another guy that I would earmark was another guy that we saw in the AFL, which was uh, Jake Eater. Um, the White Sox traded Jake Berger for him. I was surprised that he was available. This was a guy that came out of Vanderbilt, was really highly thought of. 
considered to be one of the top left-handed pitchers in the minor leagues before he had the Tommy John surgery, which is probably why he was available. He also had a, a foot injury at the beginning of 2023, a hairline fracture, I think it was in his foot, that kept him from being able to get back on the mound. After the White Sox got him, he very quietly made a few starts uh, in Double A. They sent him out to the Instructional League. Then he was in the AFL. This is a guy that profiles if he comes back all the way as a number two type starter in the major leagues. He's lefty. He's got a rocket for an arm. Uh, this is a guy that I think could absolutely be on the team at some point this year. So while it looks very glum for the White Sox right now, at the end of the at the end of the season, they can end up in a situation where. They have guys like Nestrini and guys like Eater that have come up and made a difference on the mound. They have another guy that you might have heard of as well named Noah Schultz, who is still a couple years away, but he's six foot nine. He's got kind of a Chris Sale motion. He's a local kid from Oswego, Illinois here. Uh, huge guy, huge fastball, three-quarter arm delivery, just dynamic. He hasn't thrown a lot of innings yet, though, so he's going to have to being probably single A, double A this year before he kind of gets going. So there's some guys that are coming, and these are guys that they got in those trades last year at the deadline when they started moving some of their picks around. Um, another guy that they're very high on that I don't think is going to make it this year is Edgar Cuero, the catcher. Uh, he's yeah. 20 years old, can hit, hits from both sides of the plate. Uh, he's working defensively on his catching, probably not this year, but down the road. So as a White Sox fan, all hope is not lost here. If you're a White Sox fan out there, I think that there's uh, definitely some steps in the right direction that are happening. I don't think that they have a good manager. I don't think that they have a good general manager yet at this point. I do like the fact that they made some moves to try to stockpile the minor league depth again. But for this year, the guy that I would really be kind of targeting late is Montgomery. I think he's going to get somewhere between 400 and 450 at bat for the White Sox, and they're going to let him play. That'd be awesome. And uh, you mentioned some of those pitchers. Uh, eater, especially because you look at his like fangrass page 56 innings between single A and double A, but it does not show the instruct league or the AFL. So, we, he might have got closer to 100 by all by things, all things were said and done, which definitely will have a second packed impact on the um, at least on the rotation potentially. I don't know about fantasy, but definitely uh, it'll be, it'll be in the bigs, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, he looked he looked real free and easy down in the AFL too. I mean, I, I was looking for signs of of trouble or, or, you know, worry with him. And he looked real smooth to me. I mean, I, obviously I think that they're worried a little bit about the velocity, but he's also got that slider. That's more like a curveball, which I think could really play well at the MLB level, you know, more of like what we used to call a slurve 10 years ago, yeah. you know, is, is what he's kind of bringing. So I'm hopeful that those guys will get a chance. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. The White Sox are probably going to be bottom feeders in the AL again, not as bad as Oakland. Sorry, Carlos Marcano, but. Uh, they're going to be pretty bad. And I think that they're going to give some of these guys opportunities. And to me, that excites me as a fan and as a fantasy Definitely. player. You know, you you want to get some new blood in there. Um, as long as I don't have to see Lori Garcia anymore, as long as I don't have to see, you know, Tim Anderson getting his ass knocked out in fist fights oh, with, the, with the Guardians, you know, like yep. it's good to put that pat behind us. Let's get on with it. Let's get on to 2024 and, and see what happens. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there's – I like the optimistic approach at the end there because they are young. They are trying to rebuild it. Like you, if you get deal seats for a couple more prospect, younger guys, like younger ready to play, and the big guys probably not as far off as you once were. So uh, Exactly op- right. Optimism I, is key. Yeah, that's, what, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, you know, if they end up moving seats and they get, say, a second-base pros- prospect and an outfield prospect from the Orioles, like – all of a sudden, it might not look as bad as what it looks like on paper right now because if you look at the second half of their lineup, it's putrid. I mean, nope. you and I might as well grab a bat and go up there and bat. DeJong, Nicky Lopez, Martin Maldonado, it's like, holy crap. Those are like three automatic outs almost every time they come up to bat, right? So, yep. but, but I think that a lot of people who have expressed consternation with what they're doing are not seeing the big picture. And the big picture is that these guys are placeholders. They're not anticipating that any of these guys are going to be here a long time. They're all on one-year deals. They're doing this to kind of see what they get. You know, after they move seats, maybe now that, you know, the White Sox are notorious for not wanting to deal with Scott Boris. Yep. So maybe maybe this is Lou Bob's attempt at saying, hey, screw you Great guys, man. I want out of here. Yeah. And if they if they move Lou Bob and Cease at the same time, or they Ooh. could get a Ooh. they could get a huge I mean, obviously, yeah, no. you know, 
they don't have yeah. much in the way of talent right now. But if you get four or five prospects out of that that are major league yeah. ready, it flip, could turn around yeah. in a hurry. Flip one to four type stuff. It makes a big difference. So right. Yeah. And no offense I, to my friends like Marty Tallman and Govier that are Tigers fans, but I, I don't see the Tigers as being in the class of the division either. Right. So the AL Central is wide open. Um, yep. and, and so, it, you know, if you, if you retool, and I, I guess that's what we would call this is more of a retooling as opposed exactly. to a, a rebuild. It could happen quickly if done correctly, which I have yep. no confidence in the White Sox management to do. That's, so that's, that's the tricky part. Cause like, I, I like what the Royals are doing. Like I could see their approach with their young players and offense. They're trying to piece together the pitching and maybe they're trying. Cause like you said, central's so wide open. A lot could, a lot could happen for sure. All right, Mr. Carter, it was a pleasure as always chatting with you. Before we head on out of here, Mike, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and what you got going on? Sure. Well, um, again, Mike Carter here. Uh, My Twitter handle is at MDRC0508, the worst Twitter handle of all time, I'm told, by many people. You can find me there. Uh, Two things. I'm working at fan tracks and covering bullpens there. I also work at 9 Know-It-All, and I also do the fantasy baseball beat with my good friend Chris Torres, who is under the weather at this time, but uh, we're going to be bringing that to you. We did our first episode of the of the uh, 2024 year last week. It was really fun with Craig Mish. We'll keep that going on a weekly basis where we interview beat reporters and talk to some of our favorite analysts in the game coming in and doing that. And before I buzz out of here, Bubba, uh, one thing I want to say is, um, you know, it's a hard time of year for a lot of people. Um, holidays are over. The winter blahs have set in. If you're in the Midwest, like I am, there's a foot of snow on the ground and it's freezing cold. If you're in in need of mental health resources, please reach out to me. My DMS are always open. I'm always here to listen. I've had several people take me up on that. I'm, I'm honored to do that in in real life. I'm a mental health professional working at a therapeutic day school. So please don't suffer in silence and suffer alone. Men really struggle. Men are three times more likely to commit suicide than women get out there and talk about it. Let's not make it be a poison pill to be able to talk about this stuff. And finally, Bubba, I say this every time I come on. um, And I always want to say this to the people that are listening. One of the biggest reasons why I got involved in fantasy baseball at all, and I'm lucky to be involved in the way that I am now is because of you. During the pandemic, I was listening to your podcast every week as a, as a lifeline in a lot of ways to baseball, because you have a great style. You always welcome your guests you're a great writer, you're a great analyst, and you're a great friend to people who want to be involved in baseball. And you gave me support early on. You had me on the podcast when you didn't need to do that at all. Uh, When I was first getting started, I've never forgotten that. I always will remember that you are a gentleman and a scholar. And I look forward to all the stuff that you do. The stuff that you do with Bloomfield obviously is outrageously good. Um, I'm super proud of you and where you're at and how you've uh, maintained the podcast and doing both things. It's an honor, a privilege to call you a friend and also to be on your show. So I always want to point that out to you because I feel like I, in my small way, whatever it is that I do, I try to pay that forward to people that are starting to get involved. You provided a roadmap for me to be able to get involved. And I always thank you for that. Anytime. Thanks for the kind words. Um, I, it's always weird hearing that, but I appreciate it. I really do. Cause um, I, I do it to, to, it's fun. It's a great community and more people need to be do it and, and you deserve it. So that's why I did it for you. But uh, I did want to hit on one thing, the mental health thing, people take him up on that because I go to therapy once or twice a month and mm-hmm. that's a lot of guys don't do that, but it uh, it's changed my life over the last like four years in a big way. So uh, don't be scared to do that kind of stuff. You're, Crying's okay. Talking to people's okay. Absolutely. I, Absolutely. It's okay to be a man and do these things. So I, well, I mean, it's, like, yeah. it's like the old saying always goes, right, Bubba? It's like, I'd rather cry with you on the phone or in person than cry at your funeral. So 100%. let's, let, let's talk about it guys. Let's get it done. And even though I'm wearing a t-shirt that says dead inside right now, full disclosure, I'm not man. Let's get baseball going. And uh, again, thanks for having me and I uh, appreciate having a chance to come on and talk ball with you. All right. I appreciate everybody. Make sure you're following Mike on Twitter, of course. Great guy. Great human being. Great baseball animist and all. This was Bench with Bubba, episode 628, your 2024 Chicago White Sox team preview. Catch you all next time.